So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 13. John 13, this is our key portion of Scripture this afternoon. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Words I'm sure we've heard before. But for us today, it needs to resonate into the depths of our heart. And so I have essentially only one learning outcome for us today. For every single person in this place to get to a point where they can look at the person next to them, the person behind them, their work colleagues, their family, their friends, and love them to the level, to the depth, to the richness that Jesus loves you. Amen? So just by way of background, we know that Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples at this point. Judas has fled, legged it, off to go and betray Jesus himself. But is this really a new commandment for the disciples? They've been told to love before, but it is a new commandment because they've never been told to love this way before. They are told to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. And that's the day and the age that we live in, isn't it? Dwindling love, your definition of love versus my definition of love versus somebody else's is invariably watered down, distorted, polluted. Because what people need more in the world today than anything else is the ability to love and be loved. Make no mistake, that is your starting point. If somebody has a sense that you can actually love them and that they know that there's a capacity to be loved, you're halfway to building a healthy relationship. The challenge invariably is that many people, people no doubt in this room, have grown up with a deformed, poor, or even total nonsense of what it is to be loved through childhood, through challenges. And as I've said, Christmas time can invariably be lonely for many people. You know, we get these picture-perfect ads from Tesco's or wherever that show a loving family, everyone together, everyone's happy, everyone gets the presents they want, everything's wonderful, but invariably it's not like that. But let's focus for a moment on the third word we read in John 13, command. Strong word. Not doing this, I could argue that we're not obeying Jesus. Now, if we're not obeying Jesus, I could argue that we're not necessarily following Jesus, but we know we're saved by grace, and we're not built upon laws, rules, or regulations, but we're built on relationship. And I can assure you that if you have a healthy, strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can read that command today and go, hey, that's something I want to get involved in. That's something that I want to live out, because the newness of his command comes from the standard he gives us. He says to love one another as I have loved you. Now, that is not a love that says, I'll love you until I can't stand any more of you. You know, if you're married here today, think of the mother-in-law, father-in-law. I'm not in that position, but maybe one or two of us can resonate that with that. It is not a love that just tolerates you to a point. 
it is unconditional, it is rich, and it is unending. Love one another just as Jesus loved you. It's easy to state, isn't it? But it's impossible for us to live that out this afternoon without the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we love sacrificially, we will learn to love the way Jesus loves us. So a few points that I want to unpack if you're making notes this afternoon. Love isn't new, but loving like Jesus is. As we saw when, we were, when you see that Jesus washing the disciples' feet, his love for his own did not stop there. It was costly. It was unpopular. He gave us that example of love, and he expects us to love one another to that level. Jesus loved unto death. Because of his great love, he was willing to die to give us what we need. Love your neighbor as yourself doesn't necessarily go to that extent. But Jesus took the law further, didn't he? And his love went deeper. Love is not new, but loving one another is costly. It may even be humiliating. It may be sacrificial. It may be serving the needs of the other people ahead of yourself. And you don't see the value in it at that point but you're fulfilling what God has called you to do. Point two, we must love one another to death. Challenging, right? But it's in, it's in the vows that you make when you get married, for richer, for poorer, for sickness, and in health until death us do part. Breaking news, I think we need more emphasis on this. Look at verse 34 again. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The Lord is calling each of us this afternoon to love the church, to love each other with the same strength and the same depth that Jesus loves you. This isn't a suggestion. It's the product of God's love towards you. You are to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord just as Jesus loves you. And so what does that look like? It means that we cherish one another. It means that we honor one another. It means that we care for one another. And that we reach out and we connect in ways that maybe we've never connected before. Where we make ourselves open and vulnerable. And we share what God has done in our lives. Because let me tell you this. When you go out into the street, when you go out into the marketplace, people are crying out for authenticity. You know, people can see a fake thing a mile off these days. You only have to go to Oxford Street and go to those markets, those end of the things on the sidewalk and they're selling Louis Vuitton for 50 pounds. Anyone with half a brain knows it's fake, but we give it a second look, don't you? Maybe I don't, but you might. <laughs> don't comment. Um, but we know it's fake, and yet we're still interested in buying into it. We do that in relationships as well, don't we? But God is wanting the real thing. God wants a real demonstration of real love, because that's what people need. They need real love, real support, real care, real encouragement. And that's what we're called to this afternoon. We've got to be committed to one another past the point of the situation that they're going through. So, for example, if, if, if somebody passes away and, and you're, you know someone, sorry, whose family members have passed away, you've got to be with them. You've got to journey and navigate that season with them all the way through until they're whole and restored. It's not simply good enough to demonstrate love and care and attention for the days, weeks, and after the event. It's got to go months, years after the event. That's how we show love. We show commitment to one another. We demonstrate it. But most importantly for us, and this is where I want us to 
to spend a bit of time this afternoon. We as Christians, we're identified by our sacrificial love for others, by our sacrificial love for other people. Jesus said in verse 35, by this, and what he's saying there is by this self-sacrificing love unto death, everyone, that's the key word right there, everyone, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the proof where you do life, where your family is, where your neighbors are, wherever you're connected, wherever your spheres of influence are, the proof that we are his disciples is that we love one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone. So that's the Christians and the pre-Christians. Those who know God and those who don't yet know God. And as we learn to love one another, others will see the love of Christ in us and they will be drawn to it. People are always drawn to the light. People are always drawn to the truth. We have to demonstrate it to them this afternoon. But if we don't love one another, then there's going to be no logical reason that they are going to want to connect with us. They're going to want to connect with a God that they don't know about. And for us as believers, for us as Christians, if we want people to believe in an invisible God, when they look at your life and they see no visible difference between your life and theirs, why would they buy in? We have to live it out. We have to live it out passionately and radically. And it means being vulnerable. It means being open. It means connecting in ways that you've never connected before. It means opening up your heart. It means being intentional. So when we're called to love our neighbors, that's a good starting point. Do we know the names of our neighbors? And if the answer's no, what are we doing about it? And I'm guilty. You know, I live very close to here, and the house next to me lovely Italian couple, the husband is clearly told, you're not allowed to smoke indoors because pretty much every night when I come home, he's standing on the steps of his house outside having a cigarette. He's from Italy, he supports Juventus, so we have a common theme. I've never even got the time yet to build the relationship where I know the names of his children, the name of his wife, but I know his name. And he lives literally next door to me. I see him four or five times a week. And so it's convicting me in my own heart about what am I doing what are we doing corporately as a body of believers to reach out to our neighbors, to connect to people, to demonstrate the love of God to them? Jesus tells us they will know that we are his disciples if we love our fellow Christians. Now just imagine, it's coming up to family time, but just imagine a scenario where you've got a family and a family member, say the father, and he's like, well, you know what, I don't fancy spending time with my family this Christmas. I'm not particularly interested. I want to go to the football. I want to go on holiday. I don't really want to be with the family. Who here would say that guy really loves his family? Let's have a vote. Anyone? No, no one. Amen. Good. That is the correct answer. Equally, if a different family, the mother, father, everyone was all connected. They had love. They had unity. They spent time. They were deliberate. They were intentional. They made phone calls. They connected. And they're like, we're all going to gather together for family. We're going to have a great time over Christmas. Would you say that they love each other? Amen? Yes? The same is true for us. Love is not making a vague commitment that we're going to spend time together maybe at some point. And that's the world that we live in. We spend half our lives threatening to meet up with each other and then texting the excuses about why we never actually get round to meeting up with each other. The greatest gift you can give anyone is your time. Aside from yourself, you are your greatest gift. The greatest gift you can give anyone is your time. And therefore, how we steward our time is a reflection of what we value. And I would encourage you, 
find the time, make the time, deprioritize things that are not building the kingdom that we do, and start putting in structures, plans, processes that facilitate the kingdom of God being manifested in your life. And what you will find is maybe you don't enjoy evangelism. Evangelism is not always about standing on a street corner with a megaphone shouting that people are going to hell unless they know Jesus. Amen? There's loads of strategies for evangelism. Sometimes it's just being present in someone's life. How many of you wonderful people that are actually out there in the marketplace can testify to work colleagues, to people that you are connected to that might quietly come up to you in the canteen and saying, hey, can I just talk to you about some, something, some issue in their life? Why? Because they see something different about you. But we have to carry that light and that truth. But let's explore a potentially banana skin for us this afternoon. Number four, if you're making notes, why do we not love one another the way Jesus loves us? There's got to be a reason for that, right? And I found, in my opinion, the best reason or the most obvious reason that we don't love one another the way Jesus loves us is because we're not actually experiencing his love. As you experience more of the love of Christ, you will love other people more. It's an absolute fact. The more that you experience the light and the love of Jesus, you will pour it out. Your cup will run over. So follow the logic here for a second. If we disobey Jesus' commandments, what can happen? We can begin to doubt the love, our love for Jesus. And as we begin to doubt our love for Jesus, we'll be tempted to doubt Jesus' love for us. And if we don't think that Jesus loves us, then it will be difficult for us to love others. We don't love because we're in disobedience. But as we experience Jesus' love poured out to us through the cross, we will go and learn to love others. And so how can that happen? I can only share from personal experience three things. Reflection, relationship, responsibility. Reflection. As I'm getting older, I find myself spending more times in reflection. Take time to sit at the foot of the cross. Take time. As we're coming to the end of a year, it's naturally a good time for people to kind of have a, uh, an analysis of how the year has gone. But take time to review what God has done in your life. The prayers that you don't pray anymore. The sickness in your body that doesn't exist anymore. Are we grateful for those moments? Are we thankful for those moments? You know, without mentioning a name. I've got so much to be thankful for God for, but there's, there's the person's in the room. The person's in the building, certainly. One of the guys in one of, my, one of my cell groups, he had a bad diagnosis at the doctor's. He came to cell. He shared a, with a few of us in the cell group and said, hey, can we pray over this? We prayed in the name of Jesus for this thing, I won't go into the details, to be burnt up, to be broken, to disappear, so that when he goes for a biopsy a week later, there will be nothing there. And you know what? He went six, eight days later for a biopsy, nothing there, clear, gone home. He was, and this was a guy that was told, 20% chance you have cancer. But what did he do? He shared it. He shared it. He loves us enough to share that kind of stuff. We love him enough to stand in the gap and pray. And you pray until something happens. Push. Pray until something happens. And for us as Christians, we have to live it out. It has to be an authentic expression. 
of our love for Jesus. So those three overarching components, reflection, relationship, responsibility, those things are necessary. The more we repent of our sins, the more we get into the word of God, the more we experience a deeper expression of the Father's love. And as we experience the Father's love, our willingness to love others will grow deeper. Absolute fact. There will be love without borders, love without limits, love without boundaries in every situation because you will see someone for who they really are, for who they are as a son and a daughter of Christ. You won't see them in their feeble state. You won't see them with their sin, their lies, their deception, the way they always uh, cancel on you last minute, but you will see them as somebody that you can minister to out of the love that you yourself have experienced. But we need to experience it ourselves because, friends, we can't pass on something that we've not received. If we've never experienced forgiveness, you, you can talk to me about it, but you, you won't be able to demonstrate it because it's all head knowledge. And it's a bit like reading the Bible. The Bible, there's no point in reading the Bible knowing chapter and verse. If it just stays as head knowledge, it needs to go into our heart. We then need to live it out. Live it out in our daily walk as believers, as Christians. And it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. In the current culture, we don't even need to lay our lives down. Hmm? We don't. Try and be a Christian in Iraq or Iran, where you'll get eight to ten years for just owning a Bible. And yet some of us have them on our phones and, and like Apple should delete them from your phone because you haven't opened them in years. We haven't learnt what it's like here in London to be truly sacrificial. We haven't. We give measures here, a measure there, but we haven't learnt what it's like to be truly sacrificial where we lay it all down. You know, people around us are, are different. Everywhere you go, people are different. We're wired differently. And, and if, if you want to know about how to love someone... Just pick up the book, The Five Love Languages. Everyone's got a different language. Everyone connects to different things in different ways. But our one common denominator is time. It's the one common denominator. It's the one thing we all wish that we had more of. Amen? Yeah. And so how we steward that reflects what's truly in our heart. Because if we give people our time, we tell them we care. Because it's not something you can ever get back. You can give them all the theology in the world. You can send all the lovely Christian text messages. You can forward the links from Bible Gateway and you know, whatever Joyce Meyer has been saying today and all that good stuff. But being physically present with someone makes all the difference. Standing with someone through a trial, standing with someone through a situation, they remember those things. That is a demonstration of love. Love is a demonstration. It is not a word that we can just throw about with the consummate ease. As our senior leader was speaking on this morning, he says, you know, we love football, we love toffee, I think he mentioned. We love hamburgers, we love this, we love that. We don't know what the true love is until we've experienced the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we just pass it on, friends. That's all we do. We pass on what we've been given. And I believe that there are hundreds of thousands of opportunities for the hundreds of people in this room today to demonstrate the love of God to your neighbors this Christmas time. Look for those people that are on their own. Look for those situations and those circumstances where you can step into the gap, bridge the gap between loneliness and despair, bridge the gap between rejection and fear, and bring the light of Jesus into someone's life. Because it's not all about us privatizing our love, privatizing our faith. It's living it out 
living it out passionately and radically, and it requires a massive shift in our thinking. And it's not easy. You know, most of you guys, almost all of you, one or two aside, you guys didn't know me before I was a Christian, and you would not want to have known me before I was a Christian, I can assure you. I was the most selfish, self-centered, egotistical person you could ever meet because I made my life all about me. What I want, what I deserve, what I feel the world owes me. Just like everyone else, I deserve death, sin, <laughs> I got everything. But then I recognized when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, what I received was love, genuine love, love from a perfect heavenly father that nobody can tell me is a lie. Nobody, nobody can take away what I know I experienced almost 16 years ago. But more than that, I then began to understood, understand who I was as a son of God, that I'm defined by the scriptures, I'm defined by his promises, by his, what his word says about me. And that's how we need to view our neighbors. That's how we need to view those work colleagues that persecute you for your faith. That's how we need to view those who try and tear us down. We need to see them through the lens that Christ sees them. And that's hard. But it's a command that he calls us to do. Because when people see you, they must see Christ, the hope of glory. And as you carry that light, as you carry that truth, opportunities will happen. You will find the opportunities happen all the time. People see something different about you. You know, I ride the subway from Notting Hill to Hangar Lane five days a week, and invariably you see the same people sitting in the same carriage, all wanting to get off at Hangar Lane because so they, they all work at River Island. I found that out recently. There's a big River Island head office there. Anyway, so we're all front load the first carriage or the last carriage because that's closest to the steps so everyone can get off, right? So it's like a bun fight at like 8.45 every morning. And then there's one time I just kept seeing the same guy sitting in the same seat. And I thought, I'm going to go talk to him about Jesus. I found out the guy used to be in Kensington Temple and is now in the network church down in Clapham. And he was just thrilled that I shared the gospel with him. He's just like, oh, KT, you guys are still at it. Brilliant. I'm so encouraged because that tells me he has a good impression, a good understanding of what it is to be a Christian. That I took the time, two minutes sitting on the tube next to him, Everyone's got headphones in, reading the newspaper. And I was like, has anyone told you about Jesus? And he looked at me, and he, I could tell at this point he knew something. And he let me run it for a minute. And then he said, oh, Kensington Temple, right? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, oh, I used to go there in the 80s. Da, da, da. He's a bit older, older gentleman. And I'm like, well, what are you doing now? And he goes, oh, I moved down to South London, so I go to the one in, in Clapham North or somewhere there. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. But that's like just a basic opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone and you will never know the impact you have. Much like Pastor Colin was talking about today, when you drop a stone into the water, the ripple effects. That's the goal, that's the plan, that's the kingdom coming here on earth. But let's take a minute. Maybe you're saying, well, you know, Scotty, that works for you, sport, not for me. Okay, let's look at Jesus. Every area of Jesus' ministry, he invested his time. Look at the woman at the well, great example. Culturally, he's not even obliged to acknowledge her, let alone speak to her. What did he do? He gave her his time. He gave her his time. He gave effort. And what did she do? She ran back to town, told everyone about Jesus. We are the woman at the well today. We are 
those people that will stand in the gap, that will share the gospel, that will ensure that our neighbors are not home alone, that they have you, that they have your number, that they have a connection to someone that knows the light and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is love, and any good thing that we can ever study begins in God's love and is made up of his love DNA. We can only truly learn to love from God. That's how we learn to love others. We're not talking about selfless love, because we put a lot of emphasis, the society of today puts a lot of emphasis on self-fulfillment. That's the age in which we live. But Jesus said no to self. Jesus laid aside that, that he would serve others. We must learn as Christians to go against the grain. Chris, in his opening prayer, was using many words to describe Jesus. For me, servant king is right at the top. Right at the top. Servant before king. He came to serve, not to be served. That's us this afternoon. That's us. We're not consumer Christians. Amen? We are Christians that give out, that love. So what are our application points for us this afternoon? At the end of the day, we live out what we truly believe. We live out what we truly believe. What we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say. And I want us today to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. I want you to take the opportunities with your neighbors, with your family, your work colleagues, whoever God has placed on your heart, whoever is on your evangelism of three list, your friendship of ten list. Take time to build trust with your neighbors. Allow the Holy Spirit to empower you, to shape you, to lead you. And it's Christmas time. People are, for whatever reason, pre-Christians are more fertile. Their hearts are more open, more receptive at Christmas time than at almost any other time of the year. So we have a window of opportunity right here, right now, over the next few weeks to take advantage of that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, real love is not self-seeking. We cannot have genuine love without genuine humility. When you are all about yourself, that's self-love. And if I had my way, you would not have the word love after self, because that's not a definition of love in any capacity. Loving God and loving others, that is real love. That takes humility. And as I said, the world is crying out for us to be authentic this afternoon. Real humility is acknowledging that you're unique in God, that you're somebody in Him, that you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Because he is your, you are his son, you are his daughter, in whom he loves and in whom he is well pleased. Let's not have a distorted view of the Father's love this afternoon, friends. Let's, let's take that baton, let's take the opportunities, let's pray for those opportunities and then let's live them out. Let's own what God has placed on your heart. And you will never know, let me tell you, when you start to lead people to Jesus, there's nothing, there's nothing gives you greater satisfaction. Nothing brings you more joy than seeing someone enter into all the love, all the freedom, all the victory, all the joy, all the hope, all the grace, all the mercy, all the power, all the authority that you have. There's nothing, nothing will give you greater joy than seeing someone coming to a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, I want you to take this, I want you to run with it. I believe in this room there are 
men and women that will change and shape communities, workplaces, homes, everywhere you go. But it starts with us, loving God with all our heart, mind, strength and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It is not two separate commandments. It is not two separate trains of thought. It is one verse, one commandment, one train of thought. We can't have one without the other. Amen?